ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head coming to you direct from Las Vegas, Nevada, where it is the morning after the night before. As you can probably tell from my voice, this week has taken its toll. I'm not only knackered, my voice is in pieces. It's been that kind of week. Funny thing was this week, it's it's been a, it's been a very strange week. When I got here at the start of the week, there was virtually no buzz for UFC 202 whatsoever. We used to see in these Conor McGregor fights being hyped up to the max with the buzz starting weeks in advance. That wasn't really the case here and we took our seats in the David Copperfield Theatre on the Wednesday morning for the pre-fight press conference. All we were talking about amongst the press was how, how little buzz there was for the actual, the actual fight. Then everything changed. Conor McGregor shows up half an hour late. Nate Diaz then walks off. Then they start throwing obscenities at each other. Then they start throwing bottles at each other. Then Connor grabs a couple of cans of Monster Energy. Jake Shields even tried to throw a full cup of coffee at one point. The whole thing just went absolutely berserk. Um, it was unsavory, it was unsightly, but what it did do was really kickstart fight week. The following day on the Thursday, Connor McGregor delivered the big epic mic drop at the open workouts. Then on the Friday, we had the, one of the most raucous UFC wanes I've ever experienced as McGregor and Diaz finally got to face off with thousands of people roaring their approval. I don't know how many people were in that marquee ballroom, but that place was big there were, and it was full. Uh, amazing, amazing scenes. And after all of that, it was a case of surely the fights can't live up to you know, the the craziness and the hype and the drama of what we'd seen during fight week. There's no way it could live up to it, right? Wrong. It was, it exceeded it for drama. It exceeded it for excitement. The fight delivered the goods and then some. One of the best UFC rematches I can remember. I think only probably the Frankie Edgar Gray Maynard uh, rematches maybe come close just for sheer excitement. But this had an extra level of big fight feel, I think. Um, McGregor won the fight by majority decision, 48-47 twice, and 47-47 on, on, the, uh, on the third card. So it was a majority decision, and it was a roller coaster of a fight that will live long in the memory. It was quite, quite something to see. Um, after all the fights had finished, I managed to catch up with some of my MMA media friends back in the media center, which wasn't really a media center, it was a tent. It was a, it was a huge marquee that had set up out back, of the T-Mobile Arena where we got to do a couple of post-fight scrums with uh, with some of the fighters after the event. Uh, once all that had finished, I managed to collar a few of the guys and, and get their thoughts on what we'd witnessed, not just on Saturday night at the T-Mobile Arena, but also on the, the crazy events of fight week. Uh, so on this podcast, you'll hear post-fight reaction from Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal. You'll also hear reaction from Danny Austin, from Post Media in Canada. You'll hear from Denis Shuratov and Kasper Rosalowski from Submission Radio in Australia. They made the trip over. Uh, you'll also hear from MMA Fighting's Ariel Helwani and, of course, my good buddy John Morgan joined me on the pod to, uh, to wrap things up as we chewed over the craziness that was UFC 202. So we'll kick things off with none other than Ariel Helwani. Here he is. Well, first off, I want to know where Sandu is. Where are you at, Sandu? Sandu's, Sandu's yeah. back home. No, Sandu. no, no. I was told Sandu was going to be here. 
Otherwise, I'm not doing the interview. Just kidding. Um, that was a lot of fun. Drops mic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I thought it lived up to all the hype. I scored it three to two for Conor McGregor. I thought he won the first, second, and fourth round. I thought Nate won the third. Made some great adjustments in the third. Won the fifth with that late takedown. It was interesting in the post-fight press conference that he said he thought he was trying to focus too much on the wrestling and the takedowns, and I thought he should have focused on it more. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah. What a fun fight. It certainly lived up to it. And uh, the current main event, Anthony Rumble Johnson. Is there a scarier man in the UFC uh, than Anthony Rumble Johnson right now? Well, man, Cody Garbrandt's pretty scary as well. He uh, finished Kei Mizugaki in a shorter amount of time than Dominic Cruz did. But, yeah, that was that was unbelievable. I still haven't confirmed whether or not that was a tooth that flew out of Glover's mouth. That seemed to be the talk. Something flew out of his mouth. Didn't look like a mouth guard, but... Um, that is a scary man, and you know, I wasn't all that into the idea of seeing him fight DC again. Now I'm into it. Now I feel like it's time to do it, especially with Jones being out. Here's a question. Jones, the Jones camp seem reasonably confident they can get this thing yeah. sorted. Let's play devil's advocate for a second, and Jones is available. Yeah. What fight do you make? No, I do the Rumble fight. Um, look... They may be confident. They have to remember that they have to not only battle USADA, but also the Nevada Athletic Commission, who typically takes their time with these sorts of things. And whether or not he ingested something knowingly or unknowingly, there needs to be a consequence for actions. And I think it's sending a bad signal. It's setting a bad precedent if you just put him right back into a title fight. And on top of all that, I do think there's some fatigue when it comes to the D.C. Jones rivalry. I think the fans had the rug pulled out under them, and they don't want to go through that again. I think it would be bad business to do that fight. So I think, let's say he comes back and is ready to go, you could do D.C. Rumble with him fighting on the same card. makes a lot more sense than doing D.C. Jones right away. Talking about good business, put yourself in Conor McGregor's shoes right now. He's a 145-pound champion. He knows that if he moves back down there to defend his belt, he's got to do it against Jose Aldo. He's got the potential possibility of moving into 155 he's beaten Nate Diaz he wants to move to 155 ultimately I think yeah. and get himself in there with a potential for a title shot he's coming off a win I think that, that option is there but he, he seems to me from talking there he doesn't want to let go of the belt no so if you're if you're his number one advisor his most trusted aide and wow. ally and he said Ariel I, I need some help with this what would you advise him to do he says that it's hard for him to get excited about fighting Aldo again, and I don't really blame him. How do you top 13 seconds? And talk about fatigue when it comes to a rivalry. I think there, there is some fatigue when it comes to that rivalry as well. Um, and he's coming off two multi-million dollar fights, two fights that captivated the world. Is that fight there for him at 155? So he's in an interesting spot. I thought the most interesting thing that was said the entire night was his last response. He said the SHIT is about to hit the fan. What a cliffhanger. What the heck is he talking about? It's unfortunate that we didn't have that much time with him because I would have loved to ask him, like, what are you referring to? I mean, we know about some of the issues he's had with UFC. We know about the tension. We know about the press conference starting earlier without him uh, on Wednesday. But, wow, you talk about a cliffhanger and you talk about this ongoing storyline of this power struggle between you know boss and fighter promoter and fighter uh, this is reminiscent of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon circa 1999 and everyone loved that feud so um, yeah who knows where his next battle will be will it be in the cage outside of the cage what, what a line to end his press conference absolutely and obviously the next big pay-per-view is, is Cleveland 203 but the one after that obviously yeah. is of particular importance uh, to myself and Sandu back home in the UK yes 
UFC 204, Dan Henderson taking on Michael Bisbing. What's your view, first off, on the matchup, and and secondly, on the fact that this is an event that's going to be held in the UK, yeah. but it's going to be held at US time. Yeah. First off, Sandu's probably home eating that chicken that he always talks about right Nanos. now. Right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I hope they sponsor him. He talks about it so much. Uh, <laughs> that would be nice. The, you know, I have to admit, I was I was disappointed when I first heard that that fight was in the works, Bisping versus Hendo, because I was under the impression the way the UFC was positioning it to us was that Bisping asked for it. But now it has become abundantly clear that he did not ask for it. And I think there's a very big difference there. And I think that they're actually doing him a disservice by saying he asked for it. It does, yeah. Because it looks like he's the champion. He's going down the line and picking the 13th ranked guy who he has a feud dating back to 2009 with. But that's not what he's doing. He was open to taking any other fight. They came to him with this idea. So I think that's a really important detail that they're overlooking. Once I heard about that, once I heard that um, Hendo says that he's retiring, win or lose, and I believe him, I kind of warmed up to it. I kind of like it more. I, I think it's fun. Why not? It'll be over within less than two months. It's not the end of the world. Um, I think it's a mistake to do the fight at 4 a.m. I think you finally have the English champion that you've been investing in for the last decade. It's Bisping. It's not anyone else. It's Michael freaking Bisping. And you're going to put him on locally at 4 a.m. To me, it's... Um, it's if, if, if I'm a fan who has been following his career, in particular from Manchester of all places, and that's when the fight is happening, I'm a little disappointed. And to me, it feels short-sighted to do that to that market because this feels like the kind of fight that can really reignite that market. Um, to do it at that time is uh, is short-sighted because you're not taking into account the press that the fight will garner if it's in prime time over there. and. I don't know if this, you know, in boxing there are big fights involving Tyson Fury and Vladimir Klitschko in the air at 4 p.m. in the U.S. and then they re-air them sometimes on HBO later on in the night. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to do it during the day in the U.S., but they seem to know, you know, they're the kings of pay-per-view, so who the hell am I? Yeah, and the last one, um, I had to ask you about this because um, we were part of the, uh, all, all of the various shenanigans uh, that were going on during fight week the kerfuffles the kerfuffles and we had kerfuffles yes we did Um, the weigh-ins were something pretty special I mean the size of that room yeah um, and I'll be honest with you I was slightly concerned um, having been to football matches in the past soccer matches where there is a simmering tension between Mm -hmm. the fans and you you do worry especially with the the lack of security in relative terms that was in the room where the tensions might boil Mm -hmm. over it turned out in the main to be very, very good natured. And you and uh, your colleagues at MMA Fighting were right in the thick of it. You recorded your pre-fight show in there, and I thought it was it was it was chaotically brilliant. Uh, Thank you. As as a as, as an experience of recording these, and you've yeah. done them all over the, all over the world. How did that rank doing it within within a sea of Irish fans? Yeah. And you knew that Sean El Shatter was going to pick Nick. Yeah, oh, it was beautiful. Nate Diaz. And that, that, that comedy moment yes. was just, it was, it, was, it was priceless. Sean and uh, Mark picking, picking Nate in front of those fans made that video. And then I had to go for the cheap pop. Oh, Perfect yeah, timing for me. Um, that might have been in a vacuum, like the most fun five minutes I've ever had doing this job. It was amazing. And, you know, a lot has been said of that crowd and how great it was and enthusiastic and boisterous. But here's what really needs to be said. We need to applaud both those groups of fans for the way they behave because let me tell you 
there was virtually no security there. And as you saw, the security that was there were, with all due respect, like 60-year-old ladies. They were not doing anything if there was a brawl. Those fans were literally nose-to-nose and nothing happened. No punches were thrown. Nothing happened. And that is unbelievable. These are two factions that do not like each other and nothing happened. And it just, it, 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 it was a beautiful thing. It really was. And it was two groups of fans celebrating their heroes, having fun, having a great time for free, coming in there. I mean, that in a nutshell is what makes the sport so great. And it also reminded me that, like, we go through these fights and, you know, we're just on to the next one. Now we're going to talk about Hamburg and Vancouver and Cleveland and stuff. But, like, these unique atmospheres do not happen. I was in Atlanta and that place was dead. You know what I mean? And it was a great card. But when the fans just aren't emotionally attached to those fighters the way they are, Diaz and McGregor, it's 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 just different, and these two are magic together, and that's why you know it's funny. We all love the first fight. Everyone bemoaned the making of the second fight, and now we're all sort of dreaming of what the third fight can bring. Um, those two guys are, are magical, and I do hope we get to see that third fight. And I think it will be bigger than the first two. Great stuff. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Great to see you again. My hope pleasure. Keep up the great work on the podcast. I love it. Thank you. And the we'll Brit Pack. Danny Austin from Post Media is here. Danny, what did you make of that fight? I mean, it was incredible. It was, um, I wasn't there for Robbie Lawler and Roy McDonald last year at UFC 189, but it's certainly the best fight I've ever seen um, live. It makes me feel pretty silly for a lot of the things I was saying and thinking earlier in the week because I was thinking, you know, I was really reading into Connor's mental headspace. and we both were. Uh, Yeah, and, um, and I was talking about how it didn't quite feel like there was the same excitement as I was expecting when I arrived here in Vegas, and then, you know, they go put on a show like that, and, you know, what a thrill. I mean, I think all of us felt really lucky to be there cage side, and uh, for me, that's a fight that, you know, after the disappointment of UFC 200, it really uh, kind of healed some of the wounds from that a little bit, I think. I think so, yeah, and it wasn't just the fight, it was, it was that build, and you know, we, we, we've all spoken separately about this sort of after after the day's work's been done. When we walked into that David Copperfield Theatre on the Wednesday, there was there was a real absence of buzz. It felt you almost felt bad that you here you are. There's this huge pay per view due to happen. We'd heard that ticket sales weren't going fantastically well at the time. There was there wasn't really the buzz that everyone was expecting there to be. Then everything kicked off at the at the press conference and everything went from there and. I mean, you know, we, uh, we, we've spoken since then, but I mean, what's your take on how the whole fight week has built up to this? Well, I mean, I'm going to start not at the beginning, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it was yesterday at the ceremonial weigh-ins. Um, even open workouts, yeah, Connor showed up, he had a couple quotes, but, you know, it wasn't really happening. It was, the Irish showed up, and the Diaz fans showed up, and yesterday at weigh-ins was the first time that I really felt, okay, the fans are into this, um, maybe... You know these huge pay-per-view numbers are actually going to happen, um, and I think that so much of this week was carried by Nate Diaz, um, and we got a Nate Diaz week, which is very different from a Conor McGregor week. When Conor was, you know, happy to do all his media obligations previously, he'd come in and he set the tone. He the the energy level was so high with Conor, and because it wasn't there with him this week, I think that all of us were sort of uh, feeling that and weren't sure where it was. But the second Nate threw that first bottle. You sort of got the feeling that something special was going on, and uh, Nate, I think, did a wonderful job carrying it. I think he had he was great in the post-fight press conference, and um, the second Connor's music came on, there was that big fight feel. You were so curious, and it was just it was intriguing in a way that maybe fight weeks in the past with Connor haven't been intriguing. It was uh, 
I was wondering if when Conor McGregor doesn't seem totally under control and doesn't, what does that mean? And we now we know it doesn't mean much. He still gets in the octagon and puts on a hell of a show. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people criticise the guy for being uh, a man who talks a lot, but the substance is clearly there. Mm-hmm. And this was against a guy who beat him soundly the first time round. He asked for the same conditions. I think the general consensus was part of this was an ego thing for him. He had to for you to cleanse his own soul if you like mm-hmm. had to go in and get it back under the same conditions to do it at 155 would almost have been in his eyes a cop out he had to do it at 170 so so that I thought was a, was an interesting thing one thing I wanted to ask you about was Cody Garbrandt uh, this is a guy who you sort of look at look at the up and coming stars of the UFC and this lad seems to have it all when he delivered if, if, if you take the Connor fight out of the equation there were two guys that really stood out, Rumble Johnson and Cody, Gra- uh, mm-hmm. Cody Garbrandt. I mean, how did you rate him? I mean, Cody Garbrandt right now, in my opinion, is the most intriguing guy who hasn't fought for a title yet in the UFC. Um, sorry, Max Holloway. Sorry, um, you know, sorry everybody. He, he's just there. He's one of those guys who I watch, and his, yeah, the power's there, but uh, he's also so precise um, in his striking. And you just, you, you, I don't, that guy hits you, you fall. And I mean, it's everybody. Um, and, you know, beating Thomas Almeida, you're beating an up and coming prospect, there's still something to prove. But the guy he beat tonight has been around for, what, eight years in the UFC, I think? I mean, he beat a real veteran and didn't have any trouble doing it. And I mean, you want to talk Dominic Cruz versus anybody. Dominic Cruz is famous for jumping in, hitting you, and not getting hit. So now we got a guy that, his, that is his skill set versus a guy who, when he hits you, you fall. I mean, it's fascinating, and and I think we've seen over the last three or four months, or maybe longer than three or four months, five or six months, that these really, really good strikers, it doesn't matter if you're a champion, they will knock you out in the first round if they pressure forward and they connect on punches, and that's what Cody Garbrandt does. I mean, he looks to me very similar. I mean, not in style, but, I mean, we've seen Eddie Alvarez do it. We saw uh, Amanda Nunez do it. We saw Tyron Woodley do it. I think we went through through them the other day, and I think it was about... Seven out of the ten were first round. I think in terms of the men's, I think in the men's division, I think that we said, and I'm not going to go through it, but of every weight class uh, championship fights, I believe that it was only bantamweight and light heavyweight where the title has not been decided in the first round um, in their most recent fight. I mean, that's incredible, and Garbrandt has that skill set. So he's, I mean, he's the guy. And let's be honest, like I'm willing to say, he's a good looking guy. He's a well spoken. He's kind of funny. He's got the, he's the whole package for the UFC. I mean, give him the title shot. Dillashaw probably deserves it more right now, but give it to Garbrandt. And last one, Rumble Johnson. Just the emotion when you watch that because Glover Teixeira is no mug. He's only lost once by TKO in his whole career, and that was his first fight. Yeah. That was his first fight, and here we go. You know, he's got in there and he got he got knocked out so bad he didn't he did not know where he was when he woke up. He to me, and this is purely anecdotal this is not you know I'm not an analyst necessarily he is the scariest he's the man who I would least want to find myself across the cage from if I was we ever forced to go in on the, on, the, on the table over there we had it down to two we had him and Derek Lewis yeah they were the two people we would least like to face off against and, the I mean Anthony Johnson he there are times when I just think it would be illegal for him to even fight because <laughs> it's so hard and uh I mean let's be frank here Glover Teixeira should 
have had another strategy other than to stand in front of him and punch. Um, and sometimes, you know, Club Teixeira is a great fighter. He was not a great fighter tonight. Um, and that needs to be noted. Um, I cannot wait for Daniel Cormier and Rumble Johnson. I mean, I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm born and raised in Toronto, so they announced this December card. And I'm just looking at the, the fights that we could have by the end of the year. And uh, just as a Canadian, we're going to get what New York doesn't. And it's still going to be amazing. And, you know, I imagine Rumble DC headlines New York. But uh, after that, I'm, I'm pretty excited for what comes to Canada. So Yeah, we've got a stacked, stacked schedule for the rest of the year. They announced it all, I think. We've barely got a week off between now and the rest of the year. We're going to be busy, Danny. It's going to be it's going to be good fun. I cannot wait. Uh, I hope I can trick my company into sending me to Manchester so we can do more. But I mean, this this week was incredible. And uh, Connor said at UFC 200 in, that, in the press conference that they had, that none of us could sit here. He said UFC 202 was the real UFC 200, and uh, that sort of felt ridiculous walking into that press conference on Wednesday. But uh, I mean, I think we can say pretty. We, confidently that uh, this is the best card of the summer, if not the year because Man 196 was really good too. Yeah, no, that was fantastic and I think you did right. I think Connor, he stole the show. It was a fantastic event. Danny, thank you so much for talking Thanks to Thanks for us. having me, Simon. Good man. Alright, this is the Brit Pack. We are backstage in the media marquee, would you like to call it? Or the media tent? I don't know. This is Adam Hill from uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, Adam, You've been to countless, countless Vegas events. Yeah. How does this one rank in terms of in terms of buzz, excitement, and the event delivering on Fight Night? It's it's crazy. I've been thinking about this actually, and um, it was one of those things. We talked. I talked to you actually before the fight, and it was like a slow build. It was you know the, the couple weeks leading up, you don't really think about it. You're not really talking about it, and then the press conference really got things started on Wednesday. The bottles being thrown around, and everything, and I thought yesterday the Irish fans at the weigh-in. Uh, took things to a new level. Hope this place doesn't blow over. I think, I know, I think I know. we'll be all right. It's crazy. A lot of wind here in Vegas. Um, I think the Irish fans at the, at the Wayne yesterday took it to a new level where I was like, okay, there's the buzz. There's the enthusiasm. And a lot of times, it's a really weird phenomenon in this sport. And I actually said, it's funny, just the card in general was great. Amazing. Uh, I thought, you know, four early knockouts and then just a classic fight. The main, that, the main card was amazing. But I was looking at, you know, you're looking at the card before. The first two fights on the main card, I think 98% of even UFC fans probably had never heard of maybe one of those guys, Tim Means being the one people heard of. And then you get the fight, the second fight on the main card, I was talking to to Dave Schaller from the UFC uh, PR staff, and I said, has there ever been a fight with less name recognition on a main card of UFC pay-per-view ever? And he laughed and he said, you know what, that's that's funny. And I said, but when that happens, it's usually a great fight. And and it was, it was awesome. It was a great fight. And so then you got that, so you've got that fight, then you get the Cerrone fight, that performance was great, his combo to finish Rick's story was unbelievable, 13 seconds in the Anthony Johnson fight, but that's a good 13 seconds, I mean, anytime you get Anthony Johnson out there, and then the main event, forget it, I mean, I don't like to rate, you know, fights right after a card, say, oh, the best ever, because it's so easy to be like, oh, it's great, it's, you know, recency bias, it's called, but um, it was awesome, I mean, it was a great, it was a great night of fights, just, just start to finish, just, you know, finishes, the, the classic main event, everything that went on, and uh, I thought it was a really fun night. Talk to me about Rumble Johnson. I mean, we were sat on the on, on, on the tables here in the, in, in, the, uh, in the media tent, just waiting for the for the guys to come out so we could do the media scrums. Is there a scarier fighter in the world than Rumble Johnson? No, I don't, I don't think so. And I look around, like, 
believe me, when I say this, there's nobody I would fight in, in the UFC. I'm a big dude. I wouldn't fight a, a woman strawweight fighter. I, I would lose. I'm, I'm a wimp. I'm awful. I got nothing. But I think he's the last person I was stepping. We were discussing it. Maybe Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis is a scary dude. God, Anthony Johnson hits hard, man. He hits so hard. And, you know, guys like, you know, think about that. Glover Teixeira has been in so many fights in his career. The only other time he stopped. And he's hit, he's fought some big hitters. And he's taken some big shots. The only other time he stopped the first fight of his pro career in 2002. Anthony Johnson puts him to sleep with one punch. That dude is bad, man. He is scary. And uh, just another performance. You know, I, I said, you know, I don't, I don't, I get fights wrong all the time. But I saw that line. And I, I think I even mentioned to you earlier in the night, and, and he was less than a 2-1 to favorite to open up. And I said, that's a wrong, that's a bad number. Anthony Johnson is going to destroy Glover to share. I, I thought, for sure. And, you know, a lot of times I'm wrong about that. I'll, I'll point out that when, when Andre Olowski fought Travis Brown, uh, I, I went into the fight saying, I didn't think they should sanction the fight. I thought it was such a mismatch. Travis Brown was going to murder Andre Olowski, and they shouldn't sanction it. And Andre Olowski won that fight in the first round. So I'm, I'm wrong plenty of times, but I thought Anthony Johnson was just going to wipe the floor with Glover Teixeira, and I was actually right about one. You're not the only one who gets these fights spectacularly wrong. I remember I wrote a piece a few years back about Dan Henderson. I said, the guy, his punch resistance is gone. I think it's time for the sport to look after him and take him out the firing line. He was about to fight Tim Boach. And I said, Boach is a big, strong, dangerous guy. He's durable. And he's a nightmare for a nightmare matchup for Dan Henderson. Henderson dusts him off in about 26 seconds yeah. and made me look like a complete idiot. Well, not for the first time, but you, you know, the, the, I still the, don't think you're wrong about that. These I, I don't do think happen. Dan Henderson should be fighting. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I, I don't really think he should. So I don't think you're necessarily wrong about that. He's listen, he's a guy that can land a big punch, and those guys are going to be able to win fights. It doesn't mean they should be in them, it doesn't mean they're you know, even fights. Those guys can win. And so, you know, that happens sometimes, but it, I, I don't think that necessarily does it, you know, that doesn't disprove your point. Talking about people who can, who, who can punch hard, let's talk about Cody. Um, you know, we, I, I talked to Danny Austin a little bit earlier, and, uh, you know, he said he Why? got a good looking. Why would you talk to him? To Danny Austin. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He, you know, he, he was available. He was available. Oh. You, know, I, you know me, I'll talk to anyone. But uh, Danny Austin, yeah, we, and, and, you know, we were talking about Cody, and it was, he's a good looking guy. He's got he's got the tattoos and all the rest of it. He's got that look about him that makes you think, yeah, he's he's, he's you know he could start a fight in an empty nice. room. You meet the guy, he could not be better to deal with. He's got everything you need from a corporate perspective to be a really successful champion. And then he gets in the octagon and he does the sort of thing that he did tonight. I mean, it's 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 remarkable. He's got incredible hands. His hand speed tonight was was incredible. But marry that up with the sort of power that he's delivering. And you've got dynamite on your hands. You do. And, and all the, for all those reasons that you mentioned, you know, he is a guy who, he looks the part of a fighter. He's got the tattoos. He looks kind of like a badass. Like, he's he's that guy. But the ladies love him. He, I, I know a lot of girls that don't really follow the sport, and I get texts all the time. Hey, are you talking to Cody? Like, can you give me a picture? Like, no. But th- that's the guy that the girls seem to like. Um, so completely remarkable from that perspective. And as you said, really, really, really good, genuine kid yeah. who does a lot outside the cage, a lot in the community. He's got um, you know charity stuff that he does, all that stuff that he does, and with a great backstory of coming really from, from not much. So he's got all those things working for him, and then he gets in and has that power. And at that weight class, at 135, a bantamweight, you just don't see that. You know, Dominic Cruz has been so dominant, but it's not because of the power. It's because his speed, his finesse, everything that he can do. To have a guy with that kind of knockout power at 135, 
it's a totally it's a totally a game changer. And you know, he's him against Dominic with the way they can both talk, the way their camps have a history, the way they don't like each other. It really sets up to be a great rivalry at 135, and contrasting styles, everything that you have there, that that's going to be fun for a couple of years. Two questions for you. First one. Nope, last one. Only one. <laughs> if you're if you're Conor McGregor's uh, advisor, you've got these options in front of him right now, uh, and it it looks as if if he wants to go and, and join the lightweight division, he might have to shut the door on the featherweight division. Um, what would you what would you advise that he does next? First of all, are we are we stipulating that if I am his advisor, he's listening to me? Yeah. Or do I, I tell him something? He's he's not going to listen to any, anything anybody says. So, uh, but say okay, let's, let's if we're going to have the conversation, okay. Right. Um, I I laid it out. I think I think what's what's good for business. The, he he can do whatever he wants. I think this was a huge fight, and that if he loses, he's got to go back to one forty five because all, then you can sell it. All right, he tried to come up, he couldn't make it. Now he's back at one forty five. He's good. This opens all the doors again, so everything's open. I don't think he wants to go to 145. He kind of talked down Jose Aldo tonight. He's like, hey, he didn't impress me. We, we know that's kind of, you know, it's kind of garbage, but he's not going to 145. I don't think he wants to fight at 170 either. He's seen those dudes are big. They don't fall down. 155 is where he's going to be right now. I think Madison Square Garden, if he's healthy, we saw the shin injury. He said it's not an injury. It's just kind of pain. Madison Square Garden, Eddie Alvarez, I think that's the fight. I think he does it. Or the end of the year card here, which is December 30th of Friday night yeah. in Vegas. Uh, I think one of those cards is to fight Eddie Alvarez. Try to win that lightweight title. They'll strip him of the 145 probably. Uh, but then he's the lightweight champ. Then, again, all doors are open. Go back to 145, challenge for his title again, defend 155, or even come to 170. Yeah, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a crazy week. And I've been talking to some of the other guys about the last time we were here in Vegas for, for a big pay-per-view. Uh, for, for the USC 200 fight week with all of the all of the circus that was going on that week we had failed drug tests we had extra press conferences we had all sorts we're going gonna on we're going to have another failed drug test tonight by the way well that's a very interesting thing let's talk about this Nate Diaz was so basically let me just set the scene for you we're in a largely empty press tent right now uh, there's probably a dozen or so journos doing, doing a bit of late work there's a stage in front of us with a UFC backdrop there's a table up there and what we had the fighters from the main card came in one at a time and we had interviews we had Cowboy we had Anthony Johnson we had Conor McGregor and quite surprisingly to me we also then had Nate Diaz Nate Diaz had like a vaping thing or whatever it was but he was asked what it was now, I didn't know what it was is you more familiar with it? CBD oil right I have no idea I've been researching it I still don't know Okay. Uh, the people that know more than me say hey it's not marijuana it, it, it may have THC it may not THC being the active ingredient the one they test for there's a lot of layers to this. First of all, the WADA code defines... In so we know that marijuana, we know from all the DS stuff in the past, it's banned in competition, not out of competition. Yep. The WADA code says in competition ends as soon as you submit your drug sample after the fight. He already had did that. He already had done that, excuse me. Uh, so in competition is over. However, the UFC's policy is not always in line with the WADA policy. The UFC's policy specifically says six hours after your fight ends. So he's still in competition. Will they come back and test him again? No, they're not going to. Could they? Yes. So that's where it comes up, where they could be watching, USADA could be watching this press conference, and they could say, okay, what's going on? Let's, let, let's just assume for a second that the stuff that he was, he, was, he was vaping there has got an active ingredient in it that's on the ban list. You're USADA. You've seen this. You're, are you duty bound to test, or do you say no? We want. I am. 
I would, I would absolutely, because that's kind of your job, and you want to maintain it. Because I think yeah. you can look at this and say, you know, there's a lot of questions about USADA's independence. I think that they've shown to be independent in a lot of cases. In other cases, I'm, I question. And by the and UFC is paying them, so while I trust that they are independent and they do what they're, you know, they do their job, there is that out there. Those people out there that say, you work for the UFC, is there any conflict at all? If I'm USADA, this is a perfect example to be like, here's how independent we are. We're going back and testing him again two hours after we already tested him because we saw him up on stage doing whatever he was doing. So I would do it. I don't think they're going to because there is that, you know, they're Cause testing. Because that, that wouldn't have affected his performance in the fight. No. He was taking it after. Yeah. That's why I ask because it's like, to within, me, within first the of all, letter of the law, they could do that and then hit him with a suspension. This is assuming there's an active ingredient in there, a banned substance. But the idea surely is you're, you're trying to promote the clean... You know, fighters getting the odds going clean, and this is—I guess—it's kind of a blurred line or a dotted line as to where the. Here's where, why I would, and, and, and by, by the way, I'm not a weed guy. I don't smoke at all, yeah. ever. So I don't even understand it. I don't know what's in CBD. So I'm, I'm kind of speaking on—you know—when I'm talking about that stuff, I'm researching it. I'm trying to look it up. I'm trying to learn whatever there's been written about it, study it. But what it is is Nate Diaz totally rubbing it in their face. Uh, if, if I'm Usada, I'm looking at it and saying, "Bro, come on." Your brother's just coming back from suspension. We know what you guys do. You just took a test, and you're totally rubbing it in our face that you're up on stage at the press conference. Go to the locker room. Go to your room. Go to wherever you're going and do what you want to do. I have no. I don't. I think weed should be legal anyway, all times. Let athletes do what they want, not in the cage. But I don't think they should be. They should be suspended for it. But you can't rub it in our face when we have a drug policy, and you can't have other fighters looking and be like, "Why am I getting tested eight times at 6 a.m.?" And this dude is up on stage, basically telling everybody on the stage of the OC press conference, yeah, yeah, I'm, about, I'm smoking right now. Because I, I, again, I don't know, Nate's personality changed throughout that press conference. It really did. He was yeah. giggling, he was like, slow, his words were kind of slowing down. He, to me, this is just a, a, a guess and an observation, he was hot at the end of that press conference, to me. Right. Now, I don't know, I didn't test him, to me he was hot. And you can't just rub it in their face like that, you can't. It's, it's an interesting one. The last question I wanted to ask you: We've had we've had an awful lot go on this week. What's been? What if, if, if you could take one thing away, one moment away that you'll keep with you, and it's, it's a sort of one to tell, one to tell the family when you're when you're when you're retired and you've got the pipe and slippers and you've got your feet up. Say, oh, I'll tell you a story about this. Is there a moment that particularly sticks with you? I mean, people are really caught up on the bottle almost hitting me. I think that was a good one. As I was at the press conference kind of filming uh, what was going on between the DS camp and the McGregor camp, and the I got the bottle like right by – it was a great shot going right by the camera. So I think that's a fun one because I can show the video and like maybe uh, Chris Avila goes on to a big career. I'm not judging by tonight's performance. Maybe he goes on to a big career and I can say, oh, yeah, the, that guy who won a bunch of fights in the UFC almost hit me with the bottle. Um, that's a good one. But I, I just think – I think the the – just the classic main event with, you know, McGregor coming back at Diaz with kind of a, a take on his words from the first time of, I'm not surprised, and no, surprise, surprise, the king is back. I, I think that was a great line, a great way to cap the week, and uh, that, that'll that be what's memorable. Usually the main events are what stand out. Great stuff. Adam, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Anytime. We are in the media room, which isn't really a room, it's a tent, isn't it? And it's not really the Brit pack, it's the Ozbrit pack now. We've kind of gone for, you know, we're, we're building international relations here, some Anglo-Australian thing. So we've got a voice for submission radio here. We've been, we've been hanging out during the week, Dennis and Casper, um, doing some sterling stuff. Please check them out on, on YouTube. Loads of cracking stuff on there. 
first off, let's talk about that main event. Dennis, we'll start with you. Um, how, how did you score the fight? And what did you make of Conor McGregor's performance? You know, it's an in, I'm in an interesting position because I want to be honest with you and I don't want to lie. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure in media for people to sort of see what the most popular consensus is and sort of go with it. So I'm going to put myself out on the line a little bit and say that I actually thought Nate Diaz won that fight. Now, when me and Casper were watching it, we were watching it from press row up high above. And to be honest with you, I didn't really, I haven't had the time yet to sit back and rewatch the fight. I'm sure I'll see what the other media sees then. But when I actually watched it, I saw Nate Diaz winning it. I thought he just edged it out. And that second round where everybody's sort of discussing who won and in my mind I actually thought he did right now I might change my mind I always do but at, the, at this moment yeah that was the impression I had it was an interesting round because you had the two knockdowns early on but then Diaz really poured it on at the end of the round and I think it depends on how you how, how you weight the scoring so it was a very close fight Casper what did you what did you make of the fight how did you how did you see it yeah, first of all, I just want to say this is one of the the best UFC fights of all time. And I don't know, maybe that is a lot of hyperbole, but just, I guess, seeing, sitting here, being live, uh, hearing the crowd, and, and just the, it, there was a lot of story in this fight. And before I give you my, I guess, score on this one, I will say the first time I watched the one at 196, I did think McGregor had a really dominant performance in the, in the first round. When I rewatched it, I actually kind of disagreed. I didn't think it was as dominant. Um, so, anyway... M- as far as watching it live before I watched the replay, I think the first round, clearly McGregor round. Uh, third round, clearly a Diaz round. Yeah. The fourth, I would just... It was a really close fight, really close round. I would just give it to Nate Diaz. The fifth one, I would probably just give it to... Sorry, sorry, Conor McGregor. The fifth one, I would just give it to Nate Diaz. I think he's still on in the end. Yeah. It all comes down to that second round. You got two knockdowns at the very start by Conor McGregor. It looked like he was in a lot of trouble at the end. I think... It really comes down to volume or, or power. Do you value knockdowns more, or do you value Diaz just getting Conor McGregor in a whole bunch of trouble and, and kind of looking like he tired out? I guess I'm, I'm probably siding with Nate Diaz. The way I watched it live play out, I'm probably going to say Nate Diaz. I think he should have won. But like Dennis, I might watch the replay and say, you know, it, it was a just score. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it was a very close fight. I, I personally had it 48-47 for Conor. I had Conor winning that, winning that second round, but. I can understand sort of the uh, the discrepancies in the scoring there. Looking at the other the other fights on the card, first off, just you've you've been there, you've you've seen these guys operate, you've seen these people fight at close quarters. Just how scary is Anthony Rumble, Johnson, Dennis? It's one of those things that going into this fight, he already had beaten Glover in my mind. Right. When I watched it, it was almost like a dream that I've already had over and over and over. I didn't really give Glover much of a chance in this fight. The guy just comes in, and he's he's got a Superman tattoo on his shoulder, but he's probably one of the only guys that can really have one. You know, mostly a lot of douchebags have that tattoo, but for, to him it really fits because the guy is like Superman. I mean, he's like a specimen. When you see him in person, he actually doesn't kind of look human. He, he's this great-looking specimen of an athlete. So when I saw that... It was, it was expected. I felt bad for Glover. You know, whenever someone puts, in, uh, puts someone in with Anthony Johnson, you're always like, oh, I feel so bad for that person. You know, oh, he, he's one of the greatest, you know, light heavyweight fighters. You know, he's one of the top. But I feel so bad for him. Why did he, that poor man, that poor Glover Teixeira, you know? So that's how I felt. And that's, that's exactly what you mentioned. It's a scary situation. You know what you're going to get. It's going to be brutal, violent. And, you know, damaging to the human anatomy, and that's what we got, so. Absolutely. And, and while you're talking about the scariest moments of Anthony Johnson, I believe the scariest moment was leading up to this week at the Open Workouts, oh, where yeah. Anthony Johnson, you'll remember this one, was being asked questions 
I believe it was Ron Kruk from Inside MMA. Don't remember the question, but I remember it being pretty valid. And uh, the Conor McGregor impersonator, he's made the rounds, people have seen him. I think something to the end of stupid fucking question. Anthony Rumble Johnson wasn't having any of it, told the guy to shut up and uh, threw a piercing stare that essentially was like Moses parting the seas, just pierced the whole crowd. And needless to say, everybody shut up uh, halfway around the world. So I think that's one of the scariest moments. But the one thing to take away from this fight, I I don't think you can really say much about Anthony Rumble Johnson, not to take credit away from him, but he did what we already know he can do, right? He came in, he destroyed Glover Teixeira, and I think in a fight in a lot of people's eyes, he was going to win. I give a lot of credit to Daniel Cormier after seeing... A lot of people crumble after taking shots like that and then seeing the way Daniel Cormier was able to take it. So I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from this fight. It's like when Nicolas Cage is about to release a new movie. You know it's going to be a tough-to-watch situation. You know you're going to feel bad for everybody involved. That's exactly what happened with this Anthony Johnson fight. That's very, he was thinking about it for five minutes while you were talking. <laughs> yeah. very good. All night long, actually, Simon. I, I, I knew we were going to do this a day ago. I like that you've been, you've been preparing your ad-libs. I like it. Um, <laughs> in terms of Rumble Johnson taking on Daniel Cormier again, does, does the fight go the same way? I mean, I've got to be honest, having watched watched him live and in person against Glover Teixeira, who is no mug, we were just talking earlier about Teixeira's record of, of being such a durable durable fighter. He'd only lost by TKO once in his whole career, mm. and that was on his professional debut in 2002. Um, to go out there and get starched in 13 seconds like that. Is, Rumb- is, is Rumble Johnson now ready to just take up that mantle and be the UFC like heavyweight champion? Or do you think that Cormier will repeat the trick and, and, and uh, get the win over him again? I'll try you catch me. I think there's a few ways of looking at it. One is that Daniel Cormier's wrestling is always going to be a factor. His ground game is very good, and that's always going to be a factor. Um, Rumble Johnson's been training a lot with Neil Melenson and trying to evolve his ground game. I think that changes things a little bit. Um, one thing I noticed also about Daniel Cormier, he is rather susceptible and always has been to body shots. We saw Frank Mir take advantage of that. We saw John Jones take advantage of that. We saw Anderson Silva almost steal that fight with body shots. Rumble Johnson, I mean, anything that he punches, you know, he can destroy. And anything that he kicks, it's pretty much the same thing. If he just aims a little lower, there's always going to be that threat of the takedown. But, I mean, he could, he could destroy him with a body shot. And, uh, you know, sooner or later, everybody's chin cracks. So if he, you know, if... if Daniel Cormier has had that accumulative damage, which he doesn't really get hit a lot, but it could be that Rumble Johnson lands that shot again, and maybe this time Daniel Cormier doesn't get up. So I could definitely see him finishing the fight. A guy like Anthony Johnson, it's like you talk about the heavyweight division where one punch can make the difference. Anthony Johnson is, is definitely in that same category. Right, so let's let's move things on a level then, Dennis. So let's assume that we've had the Cormier versus Rumble fight, mm-hmm. and Rumble's corrected the mistakes that he made in the first fight, knocks out Daniel Cormier. John Jones gets all of his shit dealt with and comes back, and now we have Rumble versus John Jones. Who wins that fight? Yeah, I think John Jones still beats Rumble. To be honest with you, uh, Rumble will always be dangerous. Like Asper said, if he knocks you out, if he hits you hard, there's a good chance he'll be knocked out. <clears throat> but uh, John Jones just has too many skills. He's too good. I think, even though Daniel Cormier is a great wrestler, I believe John Jones has the ability to take Jones down. I mean, Johnson down. Um, perhaps even easier than DC can. Uh, Jones has that ability. He's got great reach, so he can keep uh, Johnson away with his strikes. And, uh, you know, Jones Jones is super tough mentally as well. That's what people don't realize. He's taken a lot of shots before. It hasn't. We haven't seen Jones take shots and wither away like a prune. We've seen him take shots, and he comes out and he wins fights. Johnson's going to hit him. He's going to take those shots. He's going to beat Johnson anyway. But 
this will be a great fight because we haven't seen it before, right, Simon? And that's the exciting factor about it. And Michael Bisping is the champion. Tyron Woodley is the champion. How could you not discount the fact that Anthony Johnson will have a puncher's chance in this fight? But I suspect and I expect uh, John Jones to win it. The problem with OSP was... OSP is an awkward fighter. He's got a strange style, and he wasn't preparing for that. He was long as well, so that's why we saw sort of Jones struggle a little bit. With Johnson, he's, it, you can sort of you know what you're expecting. You know what's going to be happening, and if he prepares for him, and with his camp, Jackson, Winkle, John, they're going to have this whole strategy laid out for him. He'll be able to beat him, I believe. Yeah, it's been a busy week this week. It's not been quite as crazy as the last time we were all together, which was back at the UFC 200. We had all sorts kicking off that week. We've had some fun and games this week. Like, pick out, pick out a couple of highlights for us. Well, I beat you on the shuffleboard at the pub, <laughs> and uh, and and much like uh, you know, uh, you know, you, you uh, between your legs was the tail as you were walking through the bar, and I was the new uh, reigning king. Uh, much like Conor McGregor said, I'm not surprised, motherfucker, the king's back. But um, <laughs> if I'd have played table tennis like last time, though. Yeah, we were knocked back, but we weren't going I know, to I know, that. I noticed you kept away from the people on the table. Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, a couple of great moments. Uh, I actually thought the week was going to be a lot crapper than this. Uh, the build-up was really terrible. I didn't know how they were going to turn it around. We're there, the bottle-throwing uh, incident of 86, where uh, young Simon, myself, and Casper almost lost an eye. Um, they said a 14-year-old got, a girl got hit, but I believe it was actually me. Uh, I cried it out all night in the shower, but I was fine. No lawsuits we put down. Um, but apart from that, you know, some other highlights included basically the way and you know we saw those Irish fans uh, me and Casper have never experienced anything like that before I brought an army helmet I hid under a table I practiced the drill if there's an earthquake or a crazy thunderstorm and uh, it passed it passed Sam was still here that was another great moment and uh, tonight was the fight the fight when the fight is a classic and you go through all of this and me and Casper fly 16 hours down here and it's all worth it cherry on top worthwhile everyone's happy we can go home we can sleep well and uh it, it say hey this was all worth the way he hasn't left you much casper but is there anything else yet? i i why didn't why didn't you go to me first i, should, I can't i can't possibly top that look i will just say though when you compare the ufc 200 schedule where it's almost like uh three times the media obligations and then you look at this schedule it's almost like uh you look at pepsi and then you look at diet pepsi this is the diet version and you think well this is going to be pretty cruisy Instead, all the fun parts were in the intangibles and the X factors. You think, well, open workouts, those are usually, let's be honest, kind of boring. You go on there, you don't get too many clicks, but you go there anyway because you enjoy it. Conor McGregor replicates Tupac. Nate Diaz throws ninja spinning kicks. You know, well worth it. You go to the UFC 202 press conference. Again, something that usually has some great quotes, a little bit of fun. It was a lot of fun. The bottle throwing incident made for a lot of fun stuff. And then the weigh-ins. It wasn't just so much like any other weigh-ins. Not even that. The UFC 204 press conference, you have Michael Bisping, the new champion, a guy who should be getting celebrated, and Dan Henderson, who's a legend, another guy who should be getting celebrated. And all you can hear is the Irish fans. I've never experienced anything like that. To go in there, to go in the sort of the war zone, the battlefield, to see the Irish fans and the Diaz fans clashing, that was amazing in and on itself. And then, of course, the, the weigh-ins themselves, when you see Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz clash. So just the feeling of, of being at this event and watching this fight live, being able to be a part of it, the whole thing was just a massive highlight. That, to be honest, I don't think any of us expected, especially after UFC 200. And uh, you got some good news this week, which I assume you probably already had in your back pockets anyway, that the Octagon's coming back to Australia before you. Yeah, uh, Rod Laver Arena, state-of-the-art facility where the uh, uh, Australian Open is. 
everybody's going to be able to check this out. Now, what people don't understand about UFC 193 at Etihad Stadium was the views are pretty shit. Uh, it wasn't really sold out. The top was empty. Uh, they used these plastic lawn chairs that uh, old ladies would use at a bowls club. So it wasn't really quite what people saw on the screen. It wasn't as glamorous. Here, everyone's going to be comfortable. Interested to see what's going to happen there, though, because uh, we have this feeling, the suspicion that Robert Whitaker may be somewhere near the, around the main event, and uh, Chris Weidman will most likely have some other fight because of uh, UFC 205 in New York. Who do you give him? It's a dangerous move. Scared that they might give him someone who's not the biggest name and he might lose. And then there goes another prospect from Australia, so that's dangerous. And obviously Mark Hunt's probably not number one on the speed dial of Dana White's phone right now. So you're not going to have him. Hector Lombard, we all know. He has things going on. So who knows if he's going to be on there. And me and Casper, we don't fight. So that would be a pathetic matchup. <laughs> is, there, is there a particular bout that, in, t- in realistic terms, that you'd like to see on, on, on that Australia Cup? Yeah, I'd like to see a big bout. I mean, I, I don't think the UFC can really reach into the pool of, of Aussie fighters to really main event. Yes, you need them. You need them to put you know asses in seats. You need them to not so much draw, but I guess get all the casual fans in there just for the sake of, well, look, there's Aussies fighting on the card. We better watch this. But what usually happens is the UFC, they like to... You look at UFC 110, right? Cain Velasquez, Prokop, Nagera, uh, Bisping, who else? Ryan Bader, all massive names at the time, and I'm probably forgetting a lot of them. Joe Daddy Stevenson, heaps of people. And then as the, you know, the, and then the next one, UFC 127, was BJ Penn versus John Fitch in the main event. I think Bisping versus Rivera in the co-main event. So there's usually a dipping scale in terms of quality. And only recently we've been lucky with UFC 193, where we actually got a pretty big card, even though it was more top-heavy top than anything. So I'm hoping that they treat the Australian fans, you know, the loyal fans, give us a big card, give us some international names, and, of course, give the Aussies a chance to make some money and, and get some wins. And a lot of the Aussies, really, I think almost all of them, except for Rob Whitaker, like you mentioned, are coming off losses. So it'll be, it'll be a good chance to sort of, you know, spin a comeback story for Aussies. Yeah, it's one of those situations as well where uh, Jake Matthews will obviously have an important fight. Um, I'd, you know, if Chris, if this New York thing wasn't happening, and now I'm going to be selfish and be like, why does New York have to happen before this Australia thing? But if it wasn't, you know, I would have loved to see like Chris Weidman fight uh, Robert Whitaker or like a Luke Rockhold fight Robert Whitaker, something really big. Because then if Romero might, be yeah, Romero might be available. But if he beats Robert Whitaker, I don't feel like he'll do as much for Whitaker's career. I feel like if he loses against Rockhold or Weidman, you're like. Dude, it's Chris White. Oh, dude, it's Luke Rockhold. Of course, you know he's a young kid. Loses against the old Romero. He doesn't have that kind of, you know, that kind of popularity. A lot of people are sort of not taking him that well because of what's happened to him recently. And you know, the old Romero is a dangerous mofo, so he has the ability to beat him. It'll be a tough one. Uh, one thing I will tell you is they did a study, and a lot of the uh, Australian fight fans actually travel out of Victoria to the other states when there's another fight card. So that's really good to see the Victorian fans rewarded. And I know a lot of people will say, "Oh, what about UFC 193?" Yeah, they were rewarded there, but it was sort of it was a little bit expensive. There was a lot of stuff going on here. This is more for the purists, you know, and they'll be able to see it in a really good venue, which makes me happy. Yeah, no, that's going to be fantastic. The- They've announced the schedule for the rest of the year. It's packed. It's barely a weekend. Toronto. Yeah, it's Toronto. Obviously, Manchester for us is, is, you know, the big one for us. 5 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on, just, just quickly, Toronto in December, is that what they said? Yeah. Oh, so. well, well, there you go. It just so happens GSP can fight as early as December. There so. you go. So if he can fight in Melbourne first and then in Toronto, <laughs> that would be much appreciated. Perfect. And I think they've got an end-of-year show back here in Vegas on the 30th. Yeah. So, um, we'll be celebrating might. New Year's together. Quite possibly. Yeah. Quite possibly. Chaps, it's been a pleasure. And uh, we shall reconvene at, uh, at the bar. At the bar. Good man. 
All right, so there we go. We heard from a multitude of the MMA media's uh, great and good. And here we are back at Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm here with my good buddy John Morgan from the MMA Junkie. You heard USA from the great today. and good. Now, you, now you're stuck with me. We've finished the best, the best to <laughs> last one. I'm not going to lie. We're knackered. Oh. The time right now is 5.35 a.m. The glamorous life, baby. The glamorous life. So uh, if we sound tired, it's because we are. Um, so we've come out to get some food. We have uh, we have a cold beer in front of us. I also have a can of Red Bull for medicinal purposes <laughs> to keep me from nodding off uh, during the food. It's been an amazing week. Um, at the start of the week, John, we said there wasn't a lot of buzz going on. Then all hell breaks loose at the press conference. Then we have the open workhouse with the, that epic mic drop from Conor McGregor. Then we get the weigh-ins. The fight couldn't possibly live up to that, could it? It did. It was unbelievable. It was. It, it, uh, it's funny. You're right. It's been an amazing week to think about the journey. I mean, uh, you know, you and I were talking earlier as we were recording the MMA Roadshow um, about the ebbs and flows. You know what I mean? And there was ebbs and flows in the fight. There were ebbs and flows in the week. Uh, ebbs and flows in, in Conor McGregor's career. I mean, this thing was just a, such a microcosm. Everything all together. It was... Uh, it was spectacular, and, and the fight really did live up to it. And I mean, it's one of those fights where really I don't walk away thinking any less of either fighter. You know, I, I think more of both of them. I think how incredible it was that Conor McGregor, you know, demanded that he, he, he take what, by all accounts, was kind of a crappy set of circumstances, fighting in a weight class you had no business being in, um, and, and, and wanted to play it back and to do that. And then... You know, Nate Diaz, for the, the way he performed, you know, I thought initially watching it live, it was pretty clear cut that Conor McGregor won three rounds of two. Same man. But, uh, you know, we've gone back and watched it again, and that second round, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a close one. I still feel pretty good in my decision, mm. but uh, it was really close. And you think about how close that was to going the other way. Amazing. Unbelievable fight, and... Uh, it's quite interesting because how you consume your MMA and where you watch the fights can quite often determine how you how you score them and, and whether you've got commentary played on the TV or whether it's muted, whether you're in the arena, whether you're up in the in the cheap seats at the back, or whether you're at floor level. You everyone has a slightly different uh, view of what of, of, of what they're looking at. Now the pair of us were sat alongside each other in the front row of press row. So we couldn't have been any closer. Right. Um, but it was very interesting. Cold coffee, Kenny Hathaway. Yep. Your, your, your wingman was adamant that Nate Diaz won that fight. I spoke to the submission radio guys. You heard from them a little earlier on this on this podcast. They were both adamant that Nate Diaz won the fight. They were both out back as well. So um, the fight may have been closer than we thought it was. I, I, I thought it was an easy fight to score. I did too. And... Uh... You know, the stats show that, that, I guess, if you count, you know, punches by numbers and that's all you use to score, that, that maybe Nate Diaz. Well, I mean, basically, the only controversy is in that second round. I mean, you did have one judge that gave Nate Diaz a, a 10-8 round in that, in, that third, in that third round, and I, I guess you could perhaps make that argument. I, I don't think that was justified. But it, it basically, the only controversy comes down to that second round. And so if you're, if you're wanting to go back and figure this out and, and, and rescore it, you know, don't don't bother with the full 25. I think just make sure you go back and watch round two because that's where it's all coming down. But uh, 
Yeah, man. I mean, still just soaking it all in. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, the other thing too is, I mean, Nate Diaz is a guy that marks up pretty easily, but at that post-fight press conference, he looked rough. I mean, he looked like a guy that had lost the fight. It was, it was one of those where if you didn't know what had occurred and you just looked at the two men and you said, tell me which guy won the fight, yeah. you know, you would point right to Conor McGregor. Now, that doesn't mean anything because everybody's bodies kind of react a little bit different, but yeah. uh, still, it was it was interesting. It was a close fight. And I do think these two should do it again down the line. I do think they should do a trilogy. I do think it should be at 155 pounds. I think that makes a lot of sense for everybody. And... I also don't think it should be right now. I don't. I don't think there's any need to go back to it right now. Let these two go along their way, but keep this one tucked in your back pocket for a, a, a night that you need a big fight. Absolutely. And you talk about trying to work out who won the fight. The co-main event, there was no such problem. Anthony Rumble Johnson, and I, I asked this. I asked this question to most of the guys in the in the press room, so I'll ask it to you as well. Isn't Anthony Rumble Johnson the scariest dude in the UFC right now? 100%. 100%. Francis Naganu is, is, is pretty much... Uh, he's up there in the running, too. But We had Derek Lewis. We mentioned... Uh, yeah. Derek Lewis got a strong mention. Derek Lewis is definitely there. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, it's funny, too, because Derek Lewis is such a nice guy. And Anthony Johnson is such a nice guy. I mean, he really is an honest-to-God nice guy. But I'll tell you what right now. Like, I will never borrow money from Anthony Johnson ever you know what I mean just on the off chance that I have trouble paying him back on time like I no he's a scary scary dude that uppercut uh if you do happen to go back and watch the replay you might see me making a uh slightly unexpected gesture K-Shy because it was just it was brutal I mean it was stunningly brutal and uh I look forward to him facing Daniel Cormier. That's the only fight to make right now. I don't care what happens to John Jones. I do think John Jones' suspension uh, is 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 going to keep him out of commission for a little while. I don't think he's going to get two years, but I do think he's going to get suspended. But with the momentum that Anthony Johnson has right now, I think you make that fight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think we spoke about it on press row. I don't think there's a man at 205 pounds I would back to beat. Or let me rephrase this. There's not a man at 205 pounds I don't think Anthony Rumble Johnson can knock out. I like agree. That, or can't knock out. I think Johnson can starch anyone in that division. Glover Teixeira, 30 fight veteran of the game. Only ever been TKO'd or knocked out once. And that was in his professional debut way back in 2002. And that was a TKO with knees and elbows. So that would have been cumulative strikes. He hasn't looked close to being knocked out. Uh, Ryan Bader was hitting him with some heavy stuff, yeah. and Glover knocks him out clean. Um, this was just—he's got otherworldly punch power, Anthony Rumble Johnson, and I would love him to move on to heavyweight one day. I think he could be—he could be that Mike Tyson character, that you know, that 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 big, scary knockout machine who could potentially, potentially be a heavyweight world champion one day. I think he could. It's crazy to say that. It sounds bizarre, especially when you hear that the guy fought in the UFC at 170 pounds, which was always seemed like some kind of physical impossibility. I just never yeah. understood how he made it happen. But, yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, a, a guy like Cain Velasquez with great wrestling would, would give him some troubles. Uh, I mean, there are certain stylistic matchups, but I think he's got the power to match anybody at heavyweight. And you think about the speed that he brings, you know, it could be one of those situations where 
you know, you don't try to bulk up to 260 pounds. You come in in the middle in there, you know. 220, Absolutely yeah. that, you know, cruiserweight type level. Yeah. And, you know, your speed and your athleticism mean a lot. And, again, that, that guy's got power. I think you said when we were talking uh, kind of off air, you said, you know, maybe Mark Hunt might be the only guy that you grant more power. And I'm, Yeah, you're right. You know, if you were – you're going in and doing the the, the the attribute programming for EA USC game, you know. Hunt, Hunt would, maybe Hunt, Hunt gets the 100. Yeah. And Anthony Johnson's right there with a 99. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, it was a night of finishes. I mean, if you look back at the UFC 200 card, and, you know, you mentioned this on, on the road show, if you were picking one event to, to have on a desert island with you, and it was UFC 200 or UFC... 202 it's 202 all day long all I mean day. the star power wasn't there and I remember saying going into this week that it was maybe not a one fight card but might you know maybe a two or a three fight card but we were treated to some cracking finishes um, pick pick one or two of them out for us that you know people who you're coming away going that guy had a that guy had a phenomenal night. I mean, the easy one, of course, is Garbrandt. That that was just spectacular. To, to go in there and do what he did to Mizugaki, especially with what's on the line, and then to call out the champ and have the champ be in the building and for everybody to kind of see that and the champ to not, I mean, I think he might have earned himself a title shot. So that was a big one. The other one that stood out to me was Lorenz Larkin. Uh, yeah. Lorenz Larkin, that was 100% the best version we've ever seen Lorenz Larkin. He had everything dialed in on point put together that just Neil Magny is not a guy that you manhandle and Lorenz Larkin absolutely manhandled him he took him to the cleaners and I'll be honest with you he was so good I did have a I did have a thought for about 20-30 seconds in that fight I thought is Magny not is Magny ill is there something wrong with Neil Magny because he was just being dealt with so so comprehensively by Lorenz Larkin I really think that first kick to the body. Yeah. I, I think it hurt him more than he wanted to let on and he tried to fight through it. I don't think he ever recovered from that first body kick. And I think Magni was trying to show uh, you know as much resistance as he could, but I really think that first body kick did him in. Absolutely. I mean others others I, I would pick out Platinum Mike Perry. <laughs> Platinum Mike Perry now a, a complete newcomer. You know the, we we knew an All unknown, my, an knew, absolute we unknown. We knew nothing about the guy, and I, I, I you know, I interviewed him in uh, on media day, and in the nicest way I could, I said to him, "You, you know, you're going to have to tell tell me a bit about yourself because I don't really know anything." Um, and he was cool with it, and he's, you know, he, he gave us he gave us a really cool interview. He's a great character. Four genders. Lovely, thank you. This is Red. This is food cheese. All flats. And wedges extra crispy. Awesome. Thanks, brother. No great problem. Stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Our food just turned up. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was I saying? Platinum Mike Perry. Great performance from him. We knew literally nothing about the guy. And in he goes and puts a hurt in on the... On Hyung Gyu Lim. We had done a, uh, so when I was kind of researching him stepping in, I realized, I was like, I, I know the guy's name from somewhere. And it turns out, we at MMA Junkie, one of our writers, had done a, a, a Fight Pass series on him. 
was a prospects-based series. We don't do it any longer because the, the, the writer that did them had to move on to some other projects. But uh, we did this we did this story on him, and it talked about like he had this loose connection to Dan Severn that kind of led him to MMA. So I got him on the phone, and I, I kind of wanted to bring it up, explore that a little further. And I was like, so it was kind of a connection to Dan Severn. He's like, yeah, yeah, it turns out that's totally not true. He's like, I... I, I, it's good. Oh, good Thanks, yeah, thank he was like, uh, I, I thought it was the case, like, because the guy's name that I knew, his last name was Severn, and I thought he was like a cousin, but it turns out that wasn't the case. And I was, like, I was just like, how how funny is that? How ridiculous is that? It just the, the guy's the guy's a character, man. He's he's got the the uh, the famous torso tattoo now that you were that you enjoyed so much. Well, God's gift, he says. I mean, <laughs> you gotta you've gotta have a little bit of self confidence. Just to tattoo yourself in the first place. But if you're going to tattoo yourself and say God's gift, then uh, the guy isn't isn't wanting for a bit of self-belief. No. And he went in there against Hyung Yu Lim, who, for a 170-pound man, Matt. is a giant. I don't know what his official stats are. He must have been at least 6'3", right? Um, he is. And, Mike, and, and and with Mike being as short as he is, it felt more like he was 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he did. He made him a lot of Hong Man Choi in there. and uh, But he chopped that big old tree down, didn't he? I mean, he, and, and, you know, we were talking about it earlier. It wasn't necessarily concussive knockout power. It was just brutal power, just knocking the guy off his feet. Um, but by the end, of the, I, think he, I think it was three knockdowns and the third one hurt him bad. And, really bad. And that was the end of the fight. Some great, great fights. Final, final bit from you before we uh, before we eat our chicken that has just arrived. Um, the whole week has been has been pretty special. Um, started slow, escalated quickly, and just kept on going. What what would be your abiding memory from this week? Oh, what an amazing question that is. Uh, I mean, to me, it was about the resurgence of Conor McGregor. You know, I, I wrote this story for USA Today newspaper uh, on, on Friday um, that I, I really felt like this was do or die for Conor McGregor, as crazy as that sounds. Knowing that he still has a 145-pound belt in his back pocket, uh, the thought that maybe he can't make it anymore and that maybe he might have to give that up and then maybe he'd be on a two-fight losing streak and then maybe his star power would be gone. I mean, I thought at that press conference that he literally lost his mind. I thought he literally lost his mind. And I'm like, Nate is so much in his head around. I feel like we saw the maturity of Conor McGregor. I feel like this will turn out to be a massive moment in the history of Conor McGregor. When that story is, is done being told, I think we'll look back on this as a seminal night to really galvanize who he is as a, as a human being and as a fighter, to know that if he makes the sacrifices, he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And uh, I think that's, that's it. I feel, it's, as weird as that sounds with all that he's already accomplished, I feel like it was like a coming of age for Conor McGregor. And, and I think that's that's what I'll certainly always remember. Yeah, I, I couldn't disagree with that. I think with every performance, we're learning more about the guy and we're, we're seeing new new layers to him as a, as a person. And as a fighter, obviously he, he projects his personality. But when you're in there in a fist fight, you get to see the real guy, you know. And anyone who thought that he was all, all style, no substance, that's gone out the window a long time ago. And um, 
you know, to do what he did to come back from, you know, that that really damaging loss at 196 to Diaz. Um, and then to get rocked in the third round. And then, I mean, momentum was totally against him. Yep. And for him to dig deep in that fourth round, I think round four. That was the one that won in the fight. Yeah. Well, maybe. in our eyes, at least. Of course, right, right. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a moment that'll, that'll go down in history. Yeah, superb performance. My abiding memory, I think, is probably those weigh-ins, I think. We've been to some remarkable weigh-ins, and you get some shenanigans happen every now and again. And for me, the greatest weigh-in event I ever went to was the first one I ever went to in Vegas, which was 189. The MGM Grand was full. Amazing. 11,000 people. It was ridiculous. It was it was some, unlike anything I'd ever experienced to watch men in pants stand on a scale. It was quite <laughs> something. But this was a completely different setup this time. It was in a marquee ballroom, and I described it as being like an aircraft hangar. And um, so it was a completely different feel. But I don't know how many people were in that building, but it was pretty full. Um, and there was a real, you could feel the electricity in the air. And there was that ever so slight feeling that something could kick off yeah. at any point. And it never did. And, you know, the fans deserve immense credit for that. It was a fantastic performance by not just the fighters on fight night, but the fans, I think, made it. And that was that was the moment this week when the Irish finally showed up. And it, then, it, then it was like, okay, we're excited for the fight but then the Irish turned up and it's like okay this event is now going to be a bit special and uh, we've got a great atmosphere on fight night it also spurred on the other fighters you know those main card fighters we had TKO after TKO after TKO it was it was a, it was really superb stuff and at one point I think Joe Silva walked past us on press row and uh, you sort of gave him a nudge and said not a bad main card this is it and he was like no this is great so it was a great event the next big event for us, uh, as as the Brit Pack, will be UFC 204. That takes place in Manchester. We've obviously been talking about this for a few shows. That's all booked and booked and uh, scheduled now. I spoke with Michael Bisbing this week. I had to sit. I had to sit down with him. I also had to sit down with Dan Anderson, and um, I will give you a bit more information on those two interviews in next week's edition of the Brit Pack. It is currently, looking at his watch, five minutes to six in the morning. <laughs> and I can tell you, I've been up since six o'clock yesterday morning. 24 so, hours, baby. So I'm about to hit the 24-hour mark. I've got a plate of chicken in front of me. I've, I'm about to attack that chicken, finish my pint, and uh, turn in for the night and get some much-needed kip. Thank you so much for listening to the Brit Pack. It's been a bit of a weird one this week. Bit of a a mishmash of stuff. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the reaction. It'll be me and Sandu back behind the mic next Monday. So do check us out. You can get us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Acast, and on SoundCloud. Soundcloud.com slash The Brit Pack is the place to go. You'll find links to everything else there. Follow us on Twitter at The Brit Pack MMA. And you can follow Sandu at Sandu MMA. You can follow me at Simon Head. That was The Brit Pack from Las Vegas a little bit different thank you very much for joining us thanks to everyone for being a part of the show this week it's been great fun we will speak to you again from Blighty next week <laughs>